Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Some of you just thought to yourself, you mean we're out of seven? Finally? Chapter 8, 1 Corinthians. After answering their questions about the married and single life, Paul turned to what would have been one of the most controversial subjects in the letter that he had received from the Corinthian church. We've mentioned that. Can Christians eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? The immediate question doesn't spark much interest within us today. It, it isn't um, <laughs> a controversial subject for us today. We don't necessarily go to the market and have to worry about buying meat that's been sacrificed to an idol as, as it happened and would take place in the first century. But there is a bigger underlying issue, and that is Christian liberty, and that is and does apply to us. Amen? Our Christian freedom, our personal rights. I mean, after all, we may not face the questions that Paul was having to deal with in first century Corinth, but we do face questions that Paul did not have to deal with in first century Corinth. So, for example, and you might laugh at these, but these would be the real obvious ones. So, what kind of movies can Christians watch? Paul didn't have to deal with that one, did he? Or how about this one? What kind of music should Christians listen to? Secular or not? Now, within the city of Corinth, there was no shortage of temples dedicated to various idols where animals would be sacrificed. And as part of this idol worship, an animal was brought before a priest to be sacrificed only parts of the animal were burned, usually the legs, fat, and internal organs. The leftovers, usually the best pieces of meat, were often consumed by the priests and participants at several different kinds of ways. A festival meal in a temple, pagan temple, taken home to enjoy in private, or sold in the public marketplaces at a reduced price. Now, by my saying that, keep in mind that, as we learned last week, there very likely is a famine taking place during this time. So that would play into this as well, I think. This posed a problem, however, for believers, because when they ate as invited guests at a person's home, or bought meat at the marketplace, chances are good that some of that meat, if not all of that meat, had come from an idol worship temple, a false god. So eating the meat sacrificed to the idol was thought to be, by some of them in Corinth, the same as participating in the worship of that pagan false god as well. Now, Christ has given his followers a lot of freedom. Amen? We sang about it this evening. Thankful for that freedom. How about you? 
So he's given us much freedom in a lot and in many areas of life, but this freedom was never ever intended to be something that would be harmful to others. Paul in this chapter is applying this principle to the controversial question he was being asked. Now, just let me give you a quick little bit of advice here. When reading a passage in the Bible, always look for the principles because those biblical principles are timeless. Amen? Okay. So Paul deals directly with the Corinthian problem. Food, sacrifice to idols. But he also expands the issue to include the whole question of Christian liberty, as I said a moment ago, and their personal rights, and the importance of love over knowledge as the guiding principle of our Christian behavior. For example, can a Christian do what they want whenever they want? If not, what restraints are put upon their freedom? What is to control the behavior? What is to be the difference between the believer's behavior and the unbeliever's behavior in the world? Well, first of all, as we're going to see in these first few verses, our judgment should be based on love, not just knowledge. So look at the first verse with me. He says, now about food, sacrifice to idols. So he mentions it, but then it kind of like he goes off into another direction. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Before answering the Corinthians question concerning meat, at the very outset of his discussion about Christian liberty, Paul makes it clear that knowledge, as he says, puffs up, has the very strong likelihood and possibility of puffing up, but love builds up. Paul has referred to this principle actually already once before, and we, see, we saw this back in chapter 6, verse 12 where he wrote, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Apparently, the Corinthians had knowledge of their freedom in Christ, but this knowledge had led some to become arrogant rather than loving towards others. Their pride caused them to abuse their freedom, overstepping the bounds of wisdom and compassion into the cold world of careless, thoughtless, hurtful behavior. So Paul instructs them by setting up a contrast between arrogant knowledge and edifying love. The Greek word for builds up was a word that originally meant to build a house. Now, I find this really, really interesting. You remember, do you remember what Paul said back in chapter 6, verse 19? 
do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Agreed. <laughs> Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. And then these wonderful words. You are not your own. Paul is saying, builds up his house, which is who? Us. Exactly. The word for puffs up means to make arrogant. It is to blow something up to inflate. <laughs> well, that works, doesn't it? Fits quite well. So knowledge then blows up but love builds up. Knowledge is a God-given window, and it really is, into reality and into truth through which we can view life through a biblical Christian worldview, of course, but it is not controlled by edifying agape love. Okay? But, but if it is not controlled by an edifying, building up agape love, it can become a dangerous weapon that destroys rather than builds. The fact is, you don't always solve every problem with knowledge and logic. So for example, the little child who is afraid of the dark will not be comforted or assured by arguments, especially if the adult or an older sibling adopts a superior attitude. Knowledge can be a weapon to fight with or a tool to build with, depending on how it is used. If it is puffed up, then it cannot build up. A know-it-all attitude is evidence of not only arrogance, but also ignorance. Those, Paul writes, who think they know something <laughs> do not yet know as they ought to know. Paraphrased, those who think they know something don't know anything. <laughs> the person who really responsibly truly knows truth is very conscious of how much is not known. Besides, it is one thing to know doctrine and quite another to know God. Would you agree with that? Yeah. It is possible to grow in Bible knowledge and yet not grow in God's grace and love or in one's personal relationship with God. The test for all of this, Paul says, is love. Paul wanted the Corinthians to place the priority on the love of God, not on knowledge. He indicated the superiority of love by reminding that the one who loves God is the one who is known by God. Paul means that unlike the prideful people who center their religious lives around knowledge and knowledge alone, those who focus on love demonstrate that they have been redeemed as they have moved beyond a life of arrogant self centeredness to a life of Christ-centeredness. 
You see, on one hand, this is interesting, Paul will say, because idols are nothing, as we're going to see in a little bit, go ahead and eat meat offered to them. But on the other hand, he will say in chapter 10 that there are indeed demonic forces behind idols. <laughs> so what were the Corinthians to do with that? I think the answer can be found in Genesis chapter 2. What was the one tree of which Adam and Eve was told not to partake of? The tree of knowledge. Right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yet once they disobeyed God and ate from the tree, they immediately thought that they knew good from evil, right from wrong, without having to depend on the Father as they had done before. Suddenly, knowing they were naked, the Bible says they hid from God. The result? Intimacy with the Father had been broken. So too, if we're not careful, even biblical knowledge and theological understanding will cause us to mistakenly think that, hey, I can handle it. I've got this. And we become self-reliant. Listen to what God said through the prophet Jeremiah. This is great verse. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, God says, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. That's Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Folks, by all means, and I don't want you to misunderstand me here, so I'm going to make this statement, by all mm. means, be students of the word. Right? I'm not speaking against that. Paul isn't either. Be students of the word. Grow in your knowledge of the Lord. Become solid in theology by all means. But as you do, make sure that above all, love has the priority. Make sure your love for God and others is foremost. Biblical knowledge must has to be wrapped in love. Amen? Verse 4. So then, about, and he's going to now go back to, well, now about eating <laughs> food, sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is but one God, 
the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. So what is this saying to us? Food isn't what makes a person closer to God or not. All believers share in the knowledge of the one true God, their faith in the one Lord, Jesus Christ. Though the pagans may believe that their statues of wood and gold and silver and stone have divine powers, they may believe that, but believers know that they are merely man-made relics belonging to a depraved religious systems. Based on this knowledge, the implication is clear. Since idols are merely human creations, and since there is only one true God eating meat that has been sacrificed to a piece of carved wood or molded silver is really, Paul is saying, inconsequential. After all, how can meat in and of itself be made evil by God's little g that don't even exist? The Christian worldview should drive out the superstitious that often surround us. What I mean, what do I mean by that? Fear of bad luck over broken mirrors, <laughs> walking under ladders. How about this one? A black cat? <laughs> All of this should be dismissed by the knowledge that believers have in the one true God who has love for this world and how it works. Yet having this knowledge without love for God and one another can lead to all kinds of problems. Why? Because some believers haven't yet got to a mature, knowledgeable understanding of these things. I, I am assuming something that probably was taking place here and there in Corinth first century. I'm assuming this because it, I know it happens today amongst us. It is this. The subtle temptation that exists for the knowledgeable believer is not to launch into a full-blown confrontational attack. But typically what we can be guilty of is making little digging remarks, comments that are not said in love, comments with ulterior motive, comments that will not produce anything positive, comments that are not edifying but more than anything damaging and so Paul would be saying to us don't go there knock it off verse 7 but not everyone possesses this knowledge some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food they think of it as having been sacrificed to a God, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do eat, no better if we do. 
This is interesting because our natural tendency is to think that the brother or sister who would be righteously upset over the eating of meat offered to idols would be the spiritual giant. The one most sensitive to the heart of God. But Paul calls such a person weak. Paul says, in effect, the person who is bound, bound by rules and regulations rather than a love relationship isn't mature but weak because the more spiritually mature one is, the freer he or she will be. Being accustomed to the pagan's theology, some of the believers still bought into the idea that the meat sacrificed to the idol was contaminated by association and therefore spiritually harmful to them. Now, in a comparison with the Creator and His divine Son, Jesus Christ, the idols, Paul are saying that, Paul is saying that these idols are nothing in comparison. They're nothing. They need not be feared. The Apostle John put it this way in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. The one who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. For this reason, Paul doesn't prohibit the Grecian Corinthians to eat meat that had been sacrificed to idols. The one who eats is not harmed. The one who abstains isn't more blessed necessarily. It is here that love enters the picture. For love builds up, is not condescending, and puts others first. Knowledge must be covered, as I said a moment ago, wrapped in love. Otherwise, the saints will just end up with nothing more than big heads instead of enlarged hearts. Amen? One commentator wrote, some Christians grow, others just swell. <laughs> so, Paul says, don't be a stumbling block. Verse 9. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Because many in Corinth still had a very sensitive conscience toward the issue of meat sacrificed to idols, Paul urges the mature in knowledge to exercise love by putting a lid on their freedom. When dealing with the weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, spiritual maturity folks, includes self-restraint. The word conscience simply means to know with. Conscience 
is that internal courtroom <laughs> that is within us, right? You've heard me refer to it in years past. It's like the idiot light on the dashboard. <laughs> That's what my dad called it, the idiot light. The internal courtroom where our actions are judged and are either approved or condemned, right? Conscience is not the law, but does bear witness to God's moral law. But the important thing is this. Conscience, this is interesting, depends on knowledge. <laughs> it does. The more spiritual knowledge we know and act on, the stronger the conscience will become. Wow. Some Christians have weak consciences because they've been saved only perhaps for a short time and have not had opportunity to grow quite yet into some freedom that would be theirs in Christ. But some believers remain weak. For some. This is interesting because they actually, when it comes down to it, are afraid of freedom. The conscience of a weak Christian is easily defiled, verse 7, wounded, verse 12, and offended, causing one to fall, as we will see in verse 13. A weak conscience. For this reason, the knowledgeable, freer saints must defer to the weaker saints and do nothing that would cause them harm. Wow. It might not harm the freer saint to share in a feast, eating meat sacrificed to an idol, but it might harm his weaker brother or sister. Verse 10 warns that the immature believer might decide to just go ahead and imitate his stronger brother or sister and then be led into what they may consider later because of their conscience to be sin, feeling at that point that their walk has been compromised and that their prayers won't be heard. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, some weaker brother or sister might be seeing you who might be someone that they look up to as a, as a seasoned wisdom um, knowledgeable saint who's doing well in the Lord and they see how you're doing because of the freedom that you may have based on the knowledge that you have but they're not there yet and they're going to see that and all of a sudden well if they're doing it maybe there's some benefit in what they're doing I'll go ahead and go with it but then later on because of the weak conscience they start feeling bad about what they have done and then they find themselves in a spiritual bad place Verse 12, when you sin against them, wow. So this week, verse 11, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. And then look at verse 12. So when you sin against them, their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Boy, that puts some um, seriousness on it, doesn't it? Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother 
or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. The word translated cause, it shows up twice in verse 13, cause and causes, is the word, the Greek word, scandalizo. And you can probably imagine and figure out what word we get from that. It, we get our word, scandal. It originally meant, this Greek word, the unseemly conduct of a religious person that discredits religion or causes moral lapse in another. The verse could read then, if what I eat scandalizes my brother or sister, causing them to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. So something that might not otherwise, hear me now, something that might not otherwise be wrong is wrong. If. Are you with me? If. It puts a stumbling block in the spiritual path of another believer, another brother or sister. We are free in Christ. But we must make sure that our spiritual knowledge is baptized in the love of God. And that we do not tempt the weaker believer to run out ahead of their conscience. Our attitude cannot be church. Hey, it's your problem. Get over it. Can't, can't do that. Rather, our response must be governed by love that sets aside personal rights in order to serve and honor our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to be built up. We are to build up, amen, and not tear down. And it must be done God's way. And that way is the way of love. Paul will put pen to paper later in this letter and write those amazing words found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The chapter known as the love chapter. Yes. And he'll say some amazing things like what he says in verse 8. Love never fails and then in the last verse of that chapter and now these three remain faith hope and love and most of you can probably quote the rest but the greatest of these right is love let me finish with this I am so thankful that God doesn't treat us the way that we sometimes treat each other. Come on. We can behave so badly <laughs> when thinking of ourselves to be so superior over another. While the one who is truly superior over all 
treats us with kindness and patience, grace and love. Building us up and not tearing us down. What do you say? We do the same. Amen? Father, we do want to say thank you to you for being a God that is so good and so loving and so gracious and so patient and so kind <laughs> to us. I pray, Lord, that that forever be in the forefront of our minds, especially when we find ourselves in situations where perhaps we might be feeling a little frustrated with another brother or sister because they just maybe aren't getting what we have gotten in, in terms of knowledge and understanding and freedom. But Lord, may that knowledge become true godly knowledge as it becomes expressed in the love of our God. The love that we have received from you, may it be that very same love that we extend to one another. God help us to be gracious, to be loving, to be kind, to be patient with each other. As we together are bonded in the love of God, and by the Spirit of God, finding ourselves united and strengthened in that bond together collectively. So God, I just pray that you, that you speak to our hearts. And hopefully we have heard from you tonight. And we'll not let it just kind of fall on bad ground in our hearts, but on good ground so that you could come and cause the growth, honoring you and pleasing you along the way. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.